Chapter 12, book of Exodus. We will look at what is called the Passover. We will look at a divine decree. We will look at what God says is now the birth of a nation. And what God says is your first day of your calendar. And it's all wrapped up in this one event. And yet, if, if you remember back, some of you, I'll, I'll, I'll go back. I wrote, I wrote these down and I thought, you know, I'll remind as I go and sometimes I forget. When I look at the Bible, when I look at the 66 books that make up the Holy Scripture, first and foremost, I understand that it is the revealing of God. Okay, And God is saying, here I am, this is who I am, this is what I am about. But He also shows us what sin and disobedience is. All right? Then He shows us what faith and obedience is. But he shows us that there was a need, even with faith and obedience, a Savior and a sacrifice. And you're going to see that um, probably no clearer than right now in this text. But with that, we also understand there is a coming kingdom and glory. All right, And that's what God shows us in the 66 books that make up the Holy Bible. And if I look at Scripture... With those phrases, those thoughts in mind, you'll be safe. <laughs> you'll be very safe. If you look at, you've got an outline there, and there's basically two points on it. The confrontation, chapters 5 through 11, and then the preparation, chapter 12, the first 36 verses. All right, And we've been over the last few weeks dealing with confrontation. Because what it was is God stepping out of heaven for all intents and purposes, and confronting first and foremost Moses. All right, Then Moses' brother Aaron, and then by these two earthen vessels, Moses and Aaron, God would confront Egypt, specifically Pharaoh um, and his counselors, his wise men, his magicians, uh, the people who Pharaoh sought counsel on. And, and we see all of this. And then, then it, in, in what were called the ten plagues, you watch God confront all the Egyptian deities. Uh, you know, and granted, they're not real. I know that they're not gods. Uh, even the Bible translates it with a small g. Uh, but uh, you have to understand that the first plague when the water turned to blood happy um, uh, the god of the nile and the result was <clears throat> pharaoh hardened his heart when you see the plague of the frogs heck heck the god was defeated and crushed and the result was Pharaoh promised a little freedom, but in essence, he hardened his heart. You see the lice. Uh, two gods were involved with the lice, the bugs, uh, Hathan and Nut. Um, and the result was Pharaoh hardened his heart. Uh, with the flies, you see Isis defeated and Shu defeated. Pharaoh bargains. But um, he basically hardens his heart. 
when the plague comes upon all the livestock, Apis is defeated and Pharaoh hardens his heart. When the boils come upon the peoples, uh, Shechem has heart is defeated and Pharaoh hardens his heart. When the hail comes, it's Geb. And at that point, uh, Pharaoh does some begging and wants to repent. And your God is the one God and bargains. And the conclusion is Pharaoh hardens his heart. When the locust comes, it's Sarah's is defeated and again it brings about pain and suffering and he gets into let's make a deal but the true outcome is is that pharaoh hardens his heart when you have the three days of darkness ra is defeated and pharaoh um kind of wants to do a little dealing and wheeling and maybe we can make something happen here Um, But the outcome is he hardens his heart. And then the last plague, the death of the firstborn, is the defeating of all the deities, small and large, that the Egyptians have because the first male is the promise of future. And... At that point in time, Pharaoh begs Israel to leave. Um, and yet all of it was um, God wanted to take his people to the land that he promised them. And so now we have a setting up. And we looked at the, the beginning event of the 10th plague last week. Now we're looking at the preparation. Now what you read in these first 36 verses probably happened during the three days of darkness. Okay, the instruction for it. And what you have in chapter 12 verses 1 through 36 um, is the specifics. Uh, this, this is one of the things that kind of drives me crazy today is when I watch people, quote unquote, worshiping their own way. Um, and, 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 it, and it can be something, uh, well, I just don't go to church at all because, you know, I go out and ski on the weekends and I worship God when I'm skiing or something like that. But it can be as subtle as what is called the traditional and the contemporary worship services. Okay. God is very specific about worship to him. Okay. Very, very specific. Um, There is more written in Scripture about worshiping Him than there was in the creation record. You got three chapters, He creates everything. You got 43 chapters on worship. Which one do you think is important? But I see people today take a, a flippant attitude towards worship, and the Passover is what? It's the revealing of God, the need of a sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood for the remission of guilt. I mean, it is all wrapped up into that. And in the Jewish culture today, it's their single greatest holiday. It is more than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Passover is more important. Here's why. Passover is instituted before Israel's a nation. 
All the rest of them is when Israel's a nation. The Day of Atonement is when Israel is a nation. The Feast of Tabernacles is when Israel... It's all, all the rest of them come after. And right up until this point, Israel has never been a nation. It's just been a family. It's just been a mess is what it's been. And we've watched it. All right. Here's what it says. Yahweh says to Moses. Okay. Um, this is important. Yahweh says this. I... I you know, it's like dealing with the, the role of man and woman. Okay? Um, you can get yourself into trouble. Just mentioning it, that a woman is to husband. You think I'm crazy enough to say that on him and put it on the World Wide Web? What are you? I ain't saying that. Jimmy Kirkus. Not not if you put not if you put my picture up there. We won't put somebody else's picture as the pastor, fine. But don't put my picture up there and tell them women are supposed to submit. Jimmy Crickets. Okay, just say it and watch what happens. How dare you say that? That's that chauvinist thing. Yeah, that's that's it. God's a chauvinist. God's a chauvinist. Okay, but I think he also says submit to him. And I think women are submit as now nah, we won't even go into that. We'll deal with that some other time. All right. G- Yahweh says to Moses and in the land to Aaron, this month shall be getting the beginning of months to you. It is be the first month of the year to you. Because this is how important this is. This is when it gets started. It's reiterated. You'll see it in chapter 23, verses 14 through 17. You also see it in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means the second law, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. He says, this is when your new year starts. When? The Passover. The Passover. This is very special. This is, you pay attention to what I'm saying. And this is the first... Um, the first focus of Israel's religious calendar. Okay? Uh, And it's not like anything else. Understand what happens here. For the institution of this holiday, what happens? The firstborn all die. I've threatened my wife she, when Christmas time comes around and we do a candlelight service. I always threaten her. She says, well, what are you going to preach on Christmas? I says, I was thinking about the wailing of Ramah. And she says, you, you better not teach that. Why? At the birth of Messiah, do we understand that Herod came in and killed all the first male born Jewish children five years under? under? Merry Christmas, dude. Okay? There was the shedding of blood at the birth of Christ. But yet the Passover is of what? Is a picture. It is, as the writer of Hebrews would call it, it is the shadow of things to come. But a nice thing about a shadow is something real is causing the shadow. And now we have the real. Okay? These people that are living through this are looking to the cross. You and I have the privilege of looking back to the cross. He's already given this nation, I'm going to give you land. I need you to go to the land that I've given you. And yet, all the rest of their religious holidays are going to be given after they leave Egypt. 
This is the Passover. And it's always linked to the Exodus. But it's always linked to the death. That tenth plague. The first male of everything dies. I mean, the, the livestock dies. The, the slave child, the person who's in the prison will die. And God says, I don't want you to forget this. It's a day of redemption. God passes over his judgment on people who have the blood of a lamb over their doorway. Gosh, does that echo or what? God will pass over. Verse 2, this month shall be the beginning of months to you. The first month of the year. Divine decree. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. The, the writing of the book of Exodus, the month would be uh, a combination of what you and I would know as March and April. Okay, Abib. Uh, after um, the Babylonian captivity, you will see in Esther chapter 3 verse 7 and Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1 that it is called Nisan. Nisan. Okay, but we need to understand that this divine decree, how important is this? This marks Israel's life as a nation. This is their beginnings. And then in verses 3 through 14, he gives detailed instruction. What does it say? I want you to worship me. Here's how I want you to worship me. And he gives details on it in verses 3 through 14. What animal are you to select? When are you to kill it? What do you do to do with the blood of the animal when you kill it? How are you to cook this animal? What do you do with leftovers? Tupperware. Everybody knows that. How do I dress the meal? And you know what's really amazing? He gives the reason why it's being celebrated. And he also says that it is to be done in haste. In haste. And he tells you what the shed blood signifies. All of that. This is important. Verse 5 says, this is without blemish. Speak to the congregation of Israel on the 10th of this month. They are to take for themselves a lamb for each household. Verse 4, now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he or she, he... And his neighbor nearest his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. Do you see how he's even making it so that, well, you know, I'm by myself. What am I going to do with that whole lamb? Go with another family. Gather another family. Each man should eat 
You are to divide the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be unblemished, male, a year old. Now we're getting specific. You take it from the sheep or the goats. You can take a kid or you can take a lamb, either one. Unblemished. Unblemished. Look at verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day. So you take it on the 10th, you got it for four days. Take it on the 14th day, the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it. Then look what he says. At twilight. At twilight. He's telling that you're getting all of the details that you that he wants this done. And, and it literally in the Hebrew writing, it says between the two evenings. <laughs> That's what it means. Before it's dark, before it's light is gone. Between it. Day 14. Sunset. The onset of darkness, Deuteronomy chapter 16, 6 says. The going down of the sun. Not when the sun is down. When it's going down. You know what's really amazing? The historian Josephus said that it was usually done around 3 p.m. 3 p.m. And if you know anything about the longitude and the altitude and the latitude and all that of, of Israel, what is that? In that time of year, it'll be starting to get dark. Amazing stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, yes, that would be the Lamb of God, the Christ. Around 3 p.m. was what Josephus would say. You know what's amazing about that? Um, that was their single greatest holiday, the Passover, and you'd kill the lambs. And what was Jesus doing in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46? He had just come out of the temple area, and what had they been celebrating? The Passover. You know, it's amazing. They had a, a place in the temple area where they would have the brazen altar, and they had this ductwork that would funnel all the blood out of the building and they would be mixing it with wine and water and washing it, trying to keep it flowing as it coagulated down and it would come out on the, be the east side of the temple out of these holes in the foundation and it would drop into the Kidron. And the Kidron is a stream that would run there on the east side of the temple. And when Jesus came out and he's talking to to Peter and Peter says look how big the stones are on the temple and he says I tell you the truth that within three days this will all be torn down he would be coming out that east entrance and he would have been stepping across the Kidron and it would have been running with the blood of probably close to two million lambs that would be slaughtered in that time knowing that he was on his way to shed his blood the ultimate sacrifice about what time About 3 p.m. About 3 p.m. See, this is God revealing Himself. You do it at twilight. Moreover, they said, take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lentils of your houses in which you are to eat it. So where you, when you kill this lamb, you take the, the, the hyssop and you'd make a brush out of it. And everybody says, well, what is hyssop? It doesn't matter. 
brush it on the doorposts and the lentils. We call it the door frames of our home. Put this blood on it. Why? Well, for one thing, the Egyptians are going to look at it and think them crazy Jews. Okay? But by midnight, God's going to look at it and say, because of the sacrifice of that unblemished lamb, I will pass over and not strike the firstborn dead. Hmm. They shall eat the flesh the same night. Roast it with fire. Roast the lamb. They shall eat it with unleavened bread. We call those crackers. And bitter herbs. Horseradish. (laughs) Do not eat any of it raw. Sign me up for that. I don't need lamb sushi. Or boiled with any water. You know why? Takes longer. Takes longer to boil it than to roast it. Why? Because you're doing it in haste. Why? You'll have your loins girded up. Get out of Dodge. Why? The Egyptians are not going to want your company. So get your good meal. But don't take anything that you have in Egypt. That would be the leaven. Verse 9. The, the pagans would offer sacrifices and eat the raw meat. Or the raw organs. And he says, but we ain't pagans. We don't do it that way. Don't eat any of it raw. Don't boil it. Roast it. Leave its head and its legs on its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning. Eat it all. But whatever is left of it until morning, what do you do? Tupperware. No. You burn it. Set it on fire. Go get rid of it. Now you shall eat it in this manner. With your loins gird, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the, it is Yahweh's Passover. Now, here's an amazing thing about this. You're going to take a yearling lamb or kid, goat. Now, have you ever seen a yearling? Lamb. Okay. Aren't they cute as a button? Huh? Even, even goats. Have you ever seen a little kid goats? They're always running around ramming their heads and stuff and about knock themselves out. But cuter, just boom and running into things. Uh, don't ask me how I know these things. But anyway, uh, you, you see that they're cute as a thing. You know what's amazing about this? It's supposed to live in your house. How do you think your children are going to do with that one? You got the little baby lamb. It's curled up where at night? Tell me where it's curled up. You're not, I'm telling you, people ain't changed. Where is it curled up? With the kids. Okay, and you get to pet the thing. And it just walks around and it bounces around and they kind of got a weird... Uh, they're not... They're just... They're happy and they're sort of a little out of control. Okay, it's sort of got that ding and oops, and they fall, and you help it up, and, and all the rest of it. And what happens on the fourth day?
What happens? You slit its throat. You bleed it out. You skin it and you roast it and you tell everybody they must eat it. Now that's how to influence your family. But dad, that's fluffy. I don't know. What do you name sheep? Brutus? This is my lamb Brutus. I don't think you name lambs Brutus. Bathsheba. <laughs> All right? And you're going you're gonna to cook it. I want you to think about this because I know emphatically very few of us have a relationship that has seen that you are in that much love with the Lord Jesus Christ and He's your Passover lamb. He lives with you. He's cute. Do you see what he's trying to show you here? How tender is this? And then to see that lamb slain. And yet Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, it is Christ, the Passover lamb. You know what's amazing about this? They get to do this every Easter. What happened to the chocolate eggs? And the, and the little the little marshmallow yellow things that never... They used to save those in the fallout shelters when they thought we were going to have a nuclear attack. They, will, they are the only things that will outlast a cockroach and a Twinkie. You know, we've got a hundred million years of radiation poisoning, but we can eat them little peeps. And we can live forever with no teeth. Okay, those are nasty. Have you ever, as a kid, I eat so many of them now that I sort of get a, when I think about them. Because I don't, I think they're, I don't know what they are. They are some, something. But we think about Easter. This is what the Jews celebrate. Make haste. Look at verse 12. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike down all of the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. That's a little g. You see what he just said, right? None of their gods can stand. Every god in Egypt is impotent in front of me. They can't even protect the firstborn. You know, what's amazing is many of um, um, the pagan deities are represented as animals. And he's just flat out going to slaughter the firstborn of everything. The first male born of everything. Frogs, cows, goats, sheep, horses, dogs. Cats, children, and the adults. Striking them all down. Striking them all down. Verse 30 says there was a great cry. A great cry in Egypt. A great cry in Egypt? 
The first male born of every creature struck dead. Yeah, I'm thinking there's a cry. I mean, when I look at this and I think about it from just the secular side of it, take the firstborn, kill them all. Every firstborn, everything. I don't care if you've got a rat, a cat, a dog, a horse, all the first male, kill them. And the children and the adults. If the adult is the first male born, it is to be killed. What is the theological implications? Your God is not really protecting you against the big tragedy. We see this. Why, God? Why do we have fires in Southern California? Matches. Okay? Why do we have these people die in these earthquakes and mudslides? Why does God, why did God allow the World Trade Center and the Pentagon to be attacked? Why did this? Alright? We see it. You see it. To the degree that the Egyptians, never. I have never seen anything to this degree. I mean, I can see it replicated. Herod killed all the first male born Jews. Because he wanted to make sure he didn't, there wasn't no king going to overthrow it. Alexander the Great did it on a regular basis. Stalin liked doing it. He thought it was kind of cool. Stalin lost 20 million people in World War II. Never in the history of humanity has a country lost more people than the Russian people lost in World War II. Okay? And he was so paranoid that he killed six million of them after he got to war one. I mean, I've seen the slaughter before. But I've never seen the slaughter of all the firstborn. There was a great cry. Why, God? The Egyptians would be crying out to all of their multiple deities. Why, gods, did you do this? But then in verse 13, he says, I want you to know that the blood shall be a sign to you for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will withhold my judgment on you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the confrontation of Yahweh to Pharaoh and the Egyptians like never before. Verse 14, now this day will be a memorial to you. I want you to remember this day. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to Yahweh. Throughout your generations, you shall celebrate it as what? Permanent ordinance. He repeats it in verse in chapter in verse 21 and verse 27 uh, because I want you to remember it. We're going to have to deal with it. You need to... Imp- Understand this. This is the day that Yahweh, first of all, He delivered you, but secondly, He passed you over. It's a memorial. You shall celebrate it as a feast to Yahweh. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Seven days you will set away from the things that cause leaven, basically. 
But on the first day, you shall remove the leaven from your house. Move any of the yeast that you would have in your house. And whoever eats anything leavened from the first day to the seventh day, that person shall be what? Cut off from Israel. Cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall have a holy assembly. Church. And another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work shall be done on them except what must be done to eaten by every person. That alone and be prepared by you. You're not going to do anything. You're going to spend the day. You're going to roast your lamb. You're going to kill your lamb. And yet the whole week, seven days, you will cleanse yourself from anything around you that represents You're going to find out later in the Bible that it represents sin. Remove yourself from the sin. Remove the sin from your house. He says, I want you to remember this. I want you to understand this. I want you to be prepared for this. You need to cherish this. I see a lot of us today, we don't do these things. I mean, verses 16 through basically 46 is going to be dealing with, remember this event. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says that this was a representation of Christ. Because Paul calls Christ the Passover lamb. He even tells us how to prepare it and that you do not have a blemish land. You do not break any of its bones. And as a fulfillment, you see in John 19, verse 36, that the Passover lamb of God will not have any bones broken. This is important. You know what? We look at it and we say, but we don't celebrate Passover. What do we do to Christmas? I mean, you know, I can give you all the errors with Christmas. Okay, but the truth of the matter is, if you truly think think about the holiday, what should be the focus of the holiday? The economic surety of the United States? I mean, I'm I went into was the Home Depot. And the Home Depot ain't that where you build stuff? You know what's in there? Christmas decorations. They were there at the end of October. I mean, the little blow up, just all kinds of weird stuff and lights and this and that. And the other. I'm sitting there going, what happened to Thanksgiving? What is Christmas? Do you ever think that at the birth of Christ, all the males, Jewish boys who died? Well, that takes the truth out of Christmas. Have you ever really thought about it? Our greatest single holiday for a Christian is around the Passover season. You know what that is? The resurrection. We call it Easter. And our best conclusion is this. Everybody goes wait for the sun to come up at Red Rocks. Why? And yet, is that not the greatest holiday? Listen, if he don't get up out of the grave, he's just another dead man. (laughs) But by him getting out of the grave, God said the sacrifice was finished. It is complete. It is enough. Your work is done. He accepted it. But what do we do with Easter? 
What do we do with Easter? I, and and you know, I, I, I kind of struggle with these kind of stuff. I really do. Paint the door frame with the blood of the lamb that's been living in your house while your little children cry, guaranteed. Children haven't changed. I've cried putting horses down, knowing that putting a horse down it needs to be safer. And just to watch your life leave the horse just kind of drives you crazy. I remember I, I loved to hunt. And the uh, first time I ever shot an animal, a little bitty cottontail rabbit, and I thought you just pulled the trigger and boom, and then it fall over dead. They don't. I didn't hit it clean, and it starts spinning around. And do you know they can yell? And I just thought, well, this isn't exactly what I thought it was cracked up to be. But I did learn to become a better shot. <laughs> Because I said, we don't need to be doing this. But you know what? I still to this day, when I kill an animal, I bet you it's three months before I can eat it. I've just been too intimate with it before that time. Um, You know, it's a long story. I know what the kids were doing when you kill them lambs. I've seen little baby lambs, seen little baby goats. Cute as a button. Tragedy is they grow up too. Let's read on. The first day you shall have a holy assembly and a holy assembly on the seventh day. No work shall be done except for what you're going to prepare. Verse 17 says, you shall observe unleavened bread. For, For on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Key verse. I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day Throughout your generations is permanent. Why? I did this. You better remember. In the first month on the 14th day of the month, in the evening, you shall eat the unleavened bread until the 21st day of the seventh of the month of that evening. There's some crackers. Then look what he says in verse 19. It's a fascinating statement seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses whoever eats what is leaven that person shall be cut off of the congregation of israel whether he is what alien or native to land do you see that already he's given mercy provision for non-jews non-israelites He's already said, look, do you see what he's doing? The Passover land will actually bring in people who are not Jewish. Interesting concept, don't you think? You shall not eat anything, any leaven. In your dwellings, you shall not eat any unleavened bread. And Moses called for all the elders of Israel. And he said to them, go, take yourselves lambs according to your families. Slay the Passover lambs. You should take a bunch of hyssop and you'll dip it in the blood and in, in, in its basin and apply it to some of the blood in the basin and the lintel and on the doorpost. And none shall go outside of the door of his house until morning. 
For Yahweh will pass through the, and to smite the Egyptians, and he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, and Yahweh will pass the door and will not allow the destroyer, probably the angel of the Lord, to come into your house to smite you. The reason I say it's the angel of the Lord, you see that in Second Samuel twenty four sixteen and Isaiah thirty seven thirty six. The destroyer. And you shall observe this event. And now watch what he says. You shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. It will come about, verse 25, it will come about when you enter the land which Yahweh will give you. He, as he has promised that you shall observe this right. And when it comes about, when your children will say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say it is Passover sacrifice to Yahweh who passed over the houses of sons of Egypt, Israel in Egypt and where he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and did what? Worshipped. So in the tradition of the Jewish homes, the youngest child in the house will ask that very question right there. Why do we remember this right, Father? Bet you can't guess what Dad says. But I want you to look at something in verse 25. Because this is the redeeming of a nation. He is redeeming Israel out of Egypt. But here's the key. He's taking them somewhere. I am redeeming you, but I am taking you someplace. You know... It's not leaving, it is going. Okay? Um, I had a friend of mine who was sharing, he had a buddy of his uh, who liked life. And he says, I, I don't really want your salvation because I have to give up so much for salvation. And my friend looked at him and says, no, not really. What happens is all the price tags change. He goes, what? The price tags change. What you value and you look as important and of value to you all of a sudden aren't anymore. Why? Because I am not leaving the old life. I am going to the new life. You have been baptized into Christ by baptism unto his death, but you have been raised to do what? Walk in the newness of life. Life has purpose. Life has joy. Life has peace. Life has love. See, that's what he's showing them by this exodus. I am taking you out of this old place, but I am taking you to the new place. What do they start doing when they get in the wilderness, when they get to Sinai? Grumbling. Why? We ought to go back to Egypt. You know what? I watch people who get saved do the same thing. Well, it's hard. When may I get up on Sunday? What do you mean I gotta give money to the church? What do you mean I gotta be baptized? What do you mean I gotta do this? Well, let me ask you, was the old life that much better? Because see, I got news for you, people. He is still doing the same in the church today. He's taking you from this one place and he's taking you to the new place and you're on your way. We are sojourning through here. 
Okay, so it's, it's not leaving, but it's going. See, that's the balance that we need in salvation today. Here he's saying to your own land, it's fulfilling of promises, the covenants of Genesis 17, 7 and 8, of the land that was given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And then your children, parents are obligated to teach the meaning of this. And that's and what, I, what I was saying, that the youngest in the Jewish family will come up to daddy during the Passover meal and say, why do we do this? And they base it on this text right here. And the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came about midnight that Yahweh struck all the firstborn in all the land of Egypt, all the firstborn of Pharaoh, and they sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. You name it, if it was firstborn, God struck it dead. If it did not have blood over the doorposts, the doorframe. Pharaoh rose at night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. And there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people. I I read that phrase and I say, you know what? Negotiations are now over. It started out with a simple say, let my people go. And now God says, I guess we're done talking, huh? But look what he says. Get out from among my people, both you and your sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you said. Go worship Yahweh, just like you said. Take your flocks, take your herds, as you have said. Then look what he says in verse 32. Bless me also. Listen, negotiations are over. Why? It's not because we are in a negotiating position. It's because fear. Fear. And yet even in that fear, you see what happens to man. He wants to be blessed. Listen, this is not repentance. Let me show you why. Chapter 14, verse 8. Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel, and the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Okay? Because if you're repentant, then your heart is softened. Okay? If it's remorse, worldly sorrow, it only leads to death. No wasting any time. is what they call worldly remorse and Yahweh had given look what we'll read on verse 35 now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses remember what I said about faith and obedience they'd done what they were told to do and for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing they'd already been in this process of 10 plagues asking Egyptians for gold silver and clothing And they were receiving it. And Yahweh had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Here, take whatever you want. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Okay, it is not with deceit. Chapter 11, verses 2 and 3 said they had requested it. Give it. Why? We have worked for you. We have been your slaves. We had caused you to prosper. Give us pay. 
And they took it. They took the riches and they took off. Okay, now let me show you something. The obedience of faith. What did they receive? Gold, silver, clothing, all that they were going to need. And they were removed from the place of oppression. See, oppression is sin, people. Your sin, not my sin. Your sin oppresses you. It masters you. It tells you it is the only and the best way. And God says, no, I will remove that burden by the Lamb of God. I will pass over you and I will take you to a new place, a better place. And I will do it in a way that when you stand back, all you can say is, wow. Because you can't do it. I've watched people do it. I watch people who, who make their Christian life a bunch of do's and don'ts. Okay, I went to church. I had my devotion. I did my little prayer notebook. And down a little line. And then they walk around like this. Mad all the time. And I don't understand that. You know, I remember when a young person, I was a young believer in faith. And I used to look at some of these people thinking, good Lord, I hope whatever they've got is not contagious. Because one of the things that I'd always noted about Christians was they're not happy about nothing. They just want... And I never seen it. You have eternal life. If he never gave you anything except eternal life, what can you complain about? I don't understand that. That drives me nuts. As a pastor, it makes me want to pull my hair out. I don't understand that. Why? Because God said, I will intervene in a supernatural way. I will be the blood of the lamb. I will do this and I will take you out of this place and I will take you to another place. And the other place is this. Right now, when I look at it, I think about the kingdom of God. I think of it in two, two planes. One is the sphere of his influence. Okay. The other is the literal kingdom. Okay, now the literal kingdom is is, kind of freaks me out because it is, I can only describe it as it is sinless. And I don't really understand that. Because I'm kind of used to sin. Maybe you're not, but I turn on the TV, it's on the TV, it's on the radio. I drive down the road, it's on the road, it's standing on the street corner. Uh, It crosses through my thinking processes when I'm trying to think or something to that effect. But it's always, I don't understand that. But you know what I do with joy? The sphere of the influence of the kingdom of God. Do you know to punish a Christian? You know what you do to a Christian to punish him? Set him outside the church. How well does that work in America today? Christians prefer not to be in church. I like to be in church. Okay? You know why? I'm safe. 
I'm safe there. I can be a knucklehead. I can fall down. I can get goo on me all over the place. And you know what? I'm still safe. Did you know that if a believing woman is in a house, the whole house is sanctified? Do you know that? Why? Because God's taking care of her. And if she got an unbelieving husband, he'll be sanctified. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm saved. But to be sanctified, you know what that means? To be blessed by God. Be blessed by God. That's what the Exodus is. That's what this all is. It's a picture of God saying, here's how this deal is going to work. And you know what is amazing about him taking Israel out of Egypt is no different than him taking you out of sin. You do not have to pay the consequences of your sin. The penalty of your sin. And then in the future, guess what? You will be actually taking out of sin's abilities to do anything anywhere around you. And even now you have the power to overcome sin. And I got a news, I got to ask you a question. I'll, I'll just close with this question. When you have sinned, what is its benefit? Guilt. <laughs> Check it out. I just went and got me a wheelbarrow full of guilt. When you have sinned, what has been the benefit? So why do we chase it so much? Because if you're truly honest with yourself, every time you sin, what has happened? Has there been a benefit? Nah. Let's close with that one. Father, I praise you for your word. I thank you for the exodus. I thank you for the Passover. And Father, that even this early in the history of humanity, you're showing us. You're showing us your mercy. I mean, Lord, when I look and see that how you bring the aliens in and they can partake of the Passover. Father, even now I look at it and I think how I was an alien to you an enmity to you and the blood of the cross you passed over. Thank you, Father. Thank you for those in this room tonight who you have passed over. Father, thank you for drawing us here that we may look at this. Father, let us all never, never take it for granted in a way that it's cheapened. As these little children would have had these little darling lambs and kit goats. Father, their love for them. And the joy of having them. And to see them die is the same picture of a father sending his son to die. Father, a price was paid for us. We are not our own. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to stay there. Help us as we move into these holiday seasons to embrace that. Embrace that in such a way that we be overwhelmed. To your glory and to your praise. Amen.